Hi, welcome to New Zealand Vegan Podcast, episode 98. I'm your host, Elizabeth Collins, and I have a very, 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 very special guest on the show tonight. Um, I just am so excited to have this guest. I've actually spoken about her before. If anyone's listened to my first podcast, um, I talk a lot about Desert Girl, who was like a mentor for me when I first went vegan, and I found out that she's Renata Peters, and um, she has done some amazing stuff. I'm so excited to have her on. Welcome to the show, Ren. Oh, thank you. What a wonderful, warm welcome. I am so thrilled to be here. It's great to have you here. So um, we've got um, what I really wanted to talk uh, with you about today specifically was the activism that you're doing, um, not just online, but also most especially the um, Alice Springs Vegan Society stall that you're running at the markets. And um, I know you do lots of other things, and there's probably other things that we can talk about. Um, but um, that that's one of the things I really wanted to pick pick your brains about. Um, and um, I just wanted to know, how did that all begin? How did you get started with your market stall? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I've always wanted to do vegan activism. Uh, when I became a vegan I mean, the information that I read about that made me go vegan totally blew my mind. Um, and as soon as I knew the truth, and it was just like profound information that I had, I, I just couldn't keep it to myself. I really wanted to tell the world, and I didn't know how. I remember many times wishing I could do something like a, a food festival that was all vegan, but I didn't quite know what to do, and there was nobody else doing anything like it. Um, and it wasn't until I discovered abolitionism and um, the very simple act of doing uh, street stalls or online activism that I really jumped in. Actually, I did online activism first. So I got my wings um, on the Earthlings Forum, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, so people would watch the movie and then go and pour their hearts out <laughs> onto the Earthlings Forum, um, probably for therapy or shock. <laughs> and and I would be there. I would I would be there every day talking to people about veganism and answering all the questions. And when people would come up with questions um, that I'd never heard of before, I'd go, hmm, I don't know the answer to that. I'll go and find out. And so I got a lot of debating experience and um, so that's where it began for me was the Earthlings Forum. Uh, and then, I, yeah, I, I was busting to do something on the street, you know. And um, so I started to think about, uh, yeah, just doing a simple market store. I mean, you don't have to create a whole festival that's all vegan. You just join in with whatever anybody else is doing. So the very first one I did was at the Desert Smart Eco Fair. Um, I knew I had to be there. I mean, I am a vegan for ethical reasons, but what inspired me first to go vegan was environmental reasons. Um, for I mean, the main fact that I heard about was that 90% of the Amazon rainforest is being destroyed to make meat, and that really shocked and disturbed me. Um, so I wanted to be a part of this eco-fair, which was all about sustainable living, and I thought you can't have sustainable living without information about veganism because of all the things that you could ever do, uh, to make your home green and more water efficient and more energy efficient. There's nothing that, you know, saves more carbon and more water than actually being vegan. And it's free to be, to be vegan. So I had to be there at the eco fair and I was determined. Um, so I got myself a gazebo, which is like a little outdoor tent and uh, printed off some posters. I spent many hours setting it up in the first place, um, just getting all the materials ready, printing off um, flyers and, uh, yeah, so I've, I've just got some basic information and, uh, and then cupcakes. So, um, I'd really gotten into baking and knew that I wanted to have cakes as a part of the street stall, um, just as a way to bring people in, get their attention. Um, so, um, yeah, I made a whole lot of beautiful cupcakes for the first stall I ever did. And the Eco um, Desert Smart Eco Fair did really well. And a month after that, I did my first market stall. And now I consistently do um, the Sunday markets every fortnight in Alice Springs. That's fantastic. And, you know, I want people listening to recognize that it's basically 
very often it turns out um, schedule wise or for whatever reason it's you by yourself and I want people to know you know that's what I really want to stress to people listening is is and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show and just talk to people is to 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 be inspired enough to just go out there and do it and and you can do it on your own and you get and you get started that way um, because if you don't do it in your city nobody will and you know you're 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 doing a wonderful stall and I really want to put some photos up of it and you've got a, a gazebo and um, cupcakes and things like that you don't need you have not had um, to be part of any major animal organization to do this you just made the choice to do it and you basically are doing it by yourself and it's wildly successful um so um i mean i know it's it's work but you know it's not that it just ma- you you made it happen but i want people to know you know this is when we talk about um when i'm talking to you it's basically you and um the incredible effect that you're having in your town i mean imagine if every individual sort of did that you know yeah i i um completely share your sentiments it's uh, like uh oh i mean there's a bunch of vegans in my town. I mean, obviously it's a small number, but sometimes I just think, oh gosh, you know, why why aren't they interested in doing activism? I I just it, it yeah, it just astonishes me. Even when I'm there, you know, they could just join in or, or ask. No one's ever asked me. Oh yeah, I'd love to join you. Um, so I'm a bit baffled by that. But oh well, you know, they, if they're going to be vegan, I'm happy with that. So they can <laughs> go and be vegan, and I'll do my street activism. Uh, but I do get a lot of support, even from vegans and non-vegans. Um, some people will pass by, have a little chat. And just say, oh, you know, I really support what you're doing. I think it's great work that you're here. You know, even non-vegans say that. Like they recognize that there's something special going on and that I'm there, um, especially that I'm there. I'm not selling anything. I'm not gaining anything. They know that I'm volunteering. They know that they know that I must have spent time making those cupcakes uh, to be there, offering my time. And it's possible that um, my cupcakes um, at that stall, it's – like at the market, people sell craft and clothes and food, um, but nobody gives away anything. So I'm the only one who gives away something for free. Yeah, so I have a little sign at the store that says, free cupcake with a conversation. And I'm telling you, it works. Well, I can vouch for that because we have our street stall in outside of Aotea Square and um, I got inspired to make cupcakes from you personally I saw your cupcakes and I was like that is such a fantastic idea and it's a wonderful way to break the ice with people oh it is yes and I'm just really grateful that you started doing that so that is an inter- as far as I'm concerned that's an integral part of of of, of anything that I'm going to do here as well anything that I do um I think it's it's really good and it shows people that there's there's um uh there's delicious vegan food and it's not all just lettuce leaves and and carrots (laughs) yeah that's right and well i'll just have to say i got the idea from the boston vegan association who had a lovely little outdoor street table and they had a sign that said free cookie with a conversation and i just thought oh man that is it like that that's that's perfect but um in australia we have biscuits we don't have cookies and a biscuit is definitely not as exciting as a cupcake. <laughs> so I knew I had to do cupcakes, um, but I took off with that same idea. And wow, it, um, the impact is incredible. Um, I just get a continual flow of interest. Um, talk, talk, talking all day long and a lot of listening of to. Uh, to uh, it, it really is marvellous. And what you were saying before about um, people want to do something, but um, but they don't know how to get started. It's so true. You really don't need a group. In fact, if there was a group, um, it would probably be welfareist and focused on single-issue campaigns such as Stop the Rodeo or um, Don't Go to the Circus or um, Anti-Whaling or something like that, and they really don't work. And it's not about veganism, and it, it just increases more speciesism amongst the public because they, they see this anti-whaling campaign and they think, Oh yeah, um, it's awful to kill the whales. How awful, yeah! And then they go ahead and eat fish and cow and pig, and it's just silly. Um, and it doesn't. Re- I mean, really, when you think about it, it doesn't save any lives. Um, they're not going to stop the whaling. 
Um, and, and the people who see those campaigns, they don't personally eat whale anyway. And I find that um, campaigns like that can even increase anger towards others and they start blaming others and, and even racism. They go, oh, those cruel Japanese, although there might be a campaign for anti-dog meat or anti-cat meat, those cruel Chinese. I'm just thinking, what? <laughs> you know, we're just as bad in our own countries. You don't, you know, we don't eat whales, but we eat cows and pigs and chickens. And what's the difference? And we don't eat dog and cat, but we eat other animals. So, so to have those campaigns is, is speciesist and I think a little bit racist. So I just want to do away with those silly campaigns, which don't save any lives anyway, because even if people um, say stopped eating dog and cat meat, do you think they're going to go and eat tofu? <laughs> no, they're going to go and eat other animals. And so it just shifts the killing from one species of animal to another species of animal. So in really no lives are saved. And it's just, I think, personally, a big waste of time and generates even more speciesism, which is the cause of all this suffering and death in the first place. So what should we do? Just vegan education because it covers everything. It covers circuses, it covers rodeos, it covers whaling, it covers the lot. And it, it addresses the problem at its root, which is speciesism. You know, um, dogs and cats are just the same as cows and chickens and pigs, really. They're morally the same. So it just makes sense to be vegan. And, in fact, that's really how I begin every conversation is um, making that comparison. When you're talking to people at, at the store, I, I want to say I've, um, I've also think that that's, you know, when I, um, I, like you say, you get a lot of support from people who aren't vegan as well, but, but you do, like when I say to people, the amount of times that when, when we've said, um, what, do you have a dog or a cat? And we say, what is the difference? I don't think I've ever had anyone do that hasn't stopped short and looked and said, oh my gosh, um, there is there is no difference. It, it really makes a connection with people. And you know, what you were talking about there, I just want to add, um, because cause I really want you to talk more about the fact, because what you are doing, the reason why, have you, why I'm having you on, because there are people all over the world doing advocacy, street stalls, festivals, events, yeah. all that stuff. I want people who are doing... They're popping up. <laughs> they're popping up, but I'm talking about unequivocal vegan advocacy, which yes, you're doing. Yes. And I want people to to hear how you do it, how easy it is, how it works, and, and that it's not, a, it's not a hostile thing. In fact, I want to share something with you, and then I want to hear some more about what you experience. Um, I know people here, the only other advocacy that's done here, um, at least as far as I know, it may be changing here and there, was um, the um, Animal Welfare Group Safe, and they have all these exposés, depending on the flavor of the month, of their campaign that they're fundraising on. And um, they're, they're single-issue campaigns, just like you say, um, generally, well, I've only the whole time I've been in New Zealand, there's been a um, sauerkraut campaign and with, with the pigs, and then there is now a battery egg campaign, and then they get the open rescue group to go in and film, and then they put it on TV, and it actually gets on mainstream TV in New Zealand, like on the six o'clock news, which would never wow. happen in America. And I was when I first came back to New Zealand, and I saw this expose. I guess they had another. I, I guess they had a previous battery egg campaign, um, like about six, you know, six years ago, and then and then that they made the money off that. I mean, I'm sorry to sound cynical and then they did the sauerkraut and now they're back to the battery eggs. I don't know. But when I saw it on mainstream TV, Channel 6 News, uh, Channel 1, 6 o'clock news, I was so impressed. I was like, wow, in New Zealand you can get on the news doing this. And I was like thrilled by it. But the sad thing is it's a welfareist message. And I just want to say, I know someone who does, who, who I met, who was interested in vegan advocacy, but she feels like she can't do it on her own. And, you know, what she needs the support of her group. And so she's basically doing the safe street stall, which is about, at the time, it was about the pigs. And the hostility that they got from farmers, because what those campaigns do is demonize the farmers. You know, I know. And, and they, they were dealing with angry people. Now, when you do a vegan stall, you're talking to everybody. There's no finger pointing as such. There's nobody to turn around and blame. Yeah. Uh, doing abolitionist vegan advocacy is every bit as much about what you don't do <laughs> as what you do. So, yeah, what you said is perfect. Uh, unequivocal vegan education. What does that mean? No single issue campaigns, no finger pointing at farmers and slaughter workers uh, 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 or, or practices in other countries. Um, it's, it's just about veganism. So absolutely. And that hostility you're talking about, I only see in other forms of welfareist activism. I don't get it. I don't get that hostility. I have friendly, non-confronting conversations and I generate an environment at my street stall to cultivate 
a friendly, non-confronting atmosphere with people, plenty of smiles and cupcakes, to have that conversation about non-violence and, and um, anti-speciesism. But if you're, it's so true what you said. If you have a campaign that's focused on the farmers, all oh, those cruel, horrible, mean farmers, or we've got to regulate this or we've got to prosecute or show this video of these farmers doing these horrible things to animals. I mean, it's not fair. Okay, we put... Um, it's a little bit like sending soldiers to war and then uh, blaming them when they shoot somebody and then sending some trial or something. It's like, well, you gave the man a gun. You taught him how to shoot somebody. You also taught him how to not feel anything and to be insensitive because that's his job. He's a soldier. He's a killer. And so now you're blaming him... Uh, <laughs> for doing the wrong thing, you know, the wrong thing. Oh, you killed it in the wrong way or you killed the wrong person or, or, or something like that. It's the same for farmers who are killing non-human animals. You put someone in a situation, let's just, let's just say a slaughter worker, put someone in a situation where they're slitting throats all day and you expect him uh, and, and he's trained to be de and desensitised to their suffering. I mean, how could you? You'd have to. You would have to not care. You would have to, in order to get along with your job, of course you couldn't care. It's your job. Um, and then someone comes out with a video showing that slaughter worker beating up the animals. Um, and there's no difference between illegal slaughter and legal slaughter. Both of them are just as horrific as each other. It's just one has five minutes extra of um, violence than the other. And it's just totally irrelevant and it's silly. Um, but, yeah, demonising that one slaughter worker and saying, oh, we must prosecute. Well, look at this horrible man. And I'm, I'm thinking, what? Like, this is a slaughterhouse. It's not a recreational centre. These animals are going there to die a horrific death. So it's just silly to focus on these workers and farmers. And, and I agree, if, if you go out in the street and, and, and demonise these people, of course people are going to get upset because they're going to go up and say, well, I don't treat my animals that way and you're making it look like we're all like that and you're giving us a bad name. And, and also they, they've got their whole lives poured into their farming and so it's like you're attacking their life and their livelihood. It's very upsetting for them. Um, and I do get, on a regular basis, I do get um, farmers... Um, cattle station owners, ex-slaughterhouse workers, like quite frequently I, I get them come to visit and we have a friendly conversation. I've never experienced hostility or anger or if there might be, I mean, sometimes there's a bit of tension but, I, you know, I'm, I've developed skills to diffuse that tension. <laughs> um, Empathising and smiling and offering them a cupcake tends to work. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. So I want. So that's the that's the thing that I I was hoping also that you could share with us is you know like um, what is the typical sort of way that you will get a conversation going with someone who comes up and says what's this all about what's what are you here what are you doing I don't know if you get that but we get that a lot even though it says vegan and all that so what what's your sort of opening line do you have something that you use that you find really yes. effective uh, um, and well before I launch into what I typically say, um, I'm constantly thinking about what I can say that's better and I'm always wondering, I wonder what other people say at their stalls. And, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a lifetime of tweaking and trying something new. But at the moment this is, you know, it, it's what works and it's what I do. So somebody comes up to the stall and, um, and they, they say hello and I say, I'm offering free cupcakes with a conversation. I've got uh, Chocolate Dream red velvet and lemon lime sunshine cake. Which one would you like to try? And they're like, ooh. And they're sort of making their selection. And then while they're, you know, looking at uh, ogling the cakes, I'm, <laughs> I'll say, um, yeah, I'm talking about veganism. A quick, uh, simple, ethical argument for veganism, veganism is we have a cat and a dog who we love and adore like a member of the family. But then other animals... Uh, on farms like cows and chickens and pigs, they have the same feelings and the same moral value as our cats and dogs. So why do we love some species of animals and then hurt other species and inflict terrible suffering and death onto these animals? So why do we do that? Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. To get out of that contradiction, I live as a vegan. It's a great way to practice nonviolence. It's the greenest thing you can do for the environment and it happens to be wonderfully healthy. What do you think? So that's, um, that's I'll just say that in a nutshell, and then, um, you know, they're taking their first bite uh, or they're just staring at me. 
and uh, and then they'll say something. And from that person's response, I will then get an idea of where their belief systems are at and what I what sort of myths I need to go into debunking, <laughs> um, or uh, they just or they might agree and go, yeah, I've, I've never thought about it like that. Yeah, it's true. Other animals are a lot like our dogs and cats. Um, yeah, and we just, I mean, the conversation just flows from there or the conversation doesn't flow from there and they'll just go, hmm, thanks, that's very nice and they'll have their cupcake and sort of walk away. <laughs> um, but most of the time I get um, fairly decent conversations, short ones, medium size, and sometimes very long conversations. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's where I begin from. That's wonderful. Thank you. I'm, I'm, um, I'm really inspired by that. And um, I also want to just wonder, in your experience, how many people have come, come back and, and really sort of mentioned the whole happy meat industry to you, like genuinely saying, well, hey, well, what about if they're treated humanely? And do you get- Oh, of course, that, all the time. Um, I don't know if this is the case for you in New Zealand, and I'm guessing that different issues must be different in different countries like I can just imagine if I was doing a street stall in America they'd probably say what about abortion or something like that which is not an issue in Australia um so that you know you get thrown tricky questions over there like that um I don't know what it is for you in New Zealand but in Australia or or, and it might even be an Alice Springs thing but I get this question all the time would you eat eggs uh from happy chooks in your backyard all the time. Like I probably get that 10 times a day or something when, when I'm doing the street stall. Um, so that's a common question. And then of course, yes, what you just mentioned about the happy meat movement, um, people say, well, well, what if we treat the animals humanely? Um, would that be okay? Um, what about, no, what about free range? What about free range biodynamic organic, um, is a common question. And um, so, yeah, I, I then go about debunking the humane myth because, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, that's just so important. And so, well, actually, I have to undo the work, the bad work that's been created and perpetuated by these animal groups. In Australia, it's the RSPCA and a, and a recently, a fairly recent group, Animals Australia, um, that are putting out these myths um, that it's okay to use animals so long as you treat them nicely and sign this petition and give us your donations and we'll, um, you know, provide opportunities. We'll, we'll partner with um, these animal exploiters and offer them a stamp of approval, um, certified, humanely raised and slaughtered. Um, it, it, I mean, it's ridiculous, really. Uh, I mean, the differences are just so slight and tiny that it's irrelevant to the animal. It's... I mean, it's about as meaningful to the animal as um, putting up pretty wallpaper in, in their prison. I mean, it's, it's like, would you like a prison with nice wallpaper or without? Um, it's, I mean, you know, give chickens two extra inches of cage space, gas the chickens instead of electrocute them. Um, oh, and this sauerkraut ban. I, look, let's just address that for a second. People don't look into what a sauerkraut ban is. It is not a ban. They should just get rid of the word ban because there is no ban. It, the ban has so many loopholes that farmers can still use the gestation crate. Um, there's certain rules like you can't use the gestation crate for most of the day. Well, what's most of the day? You, you could use a gestation crate for um, 11 hours and that's less than half a day. So you could use it for that long. You can use a gestation crate in the so-called ban for medical reasons or when necessary. <laughs> what the heck does that mean? And who's watching? Who's regulating it? I, I mean, you know, there's, they don't have lots of money for inspectors to come and make sure that they're following the rules anyway. So the rules are really silly and so watered down and meaningless. And even if there was a meaningful um, gestation crate ban, there's still miserable pigs in, in a cage somewhere. They're still going to die. They still only live for six months. They, 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 the mothers are giving birth to babies um, that have become pork machines. They're not living animals. They're giving birth to piglets who are going to be taken from her when they're a very young age, gestation crate or no gestation crate. And, they, you know, her babies are taken from her, and that is just wrong to remove a mother and her babies. And uh, so it's really silly, this all, you know, humane meat stuff, humane free-range eggs and free-range. It's just meaningless, absolutely ridiculous. 
there is just as much suffering in free range as there is in battery cages, I'm telling you. I believe you. And, um, I mean, I agree, and that's why I do abolitionist advocacy as well. And, you know, it's, I just have to say, we, we get the egg, the backyard egg one, because I've got people up the street from me. I have a woman that I know who has eggs and sells them to everybody and their, her chickens. So that's a very, very common question. In fact, in America, I think it's a very, very common question as well, and in Canada as well. Um, and the, yeah, so I think that that one's a common one. But it is the same. It's basically the same question. It's basically the humane farming question. And I just want to, like, I'm so glad you said well, we that. Well, should, we should talk about that because that is uh, quite a bit different to the, you know, the free-range um, production. We should probably talk about that. <laughs> yeah, did you? what did you have to say about that? Well, I wanted to, before I hear your thoughts on the backyard hens, um, because I... Me, myself and I know Wittemu, we have had various attempts at, at, at dealing with that. But I just wanted to reiterate something that you said, which is so important to me. And I just want everybody to listen really, really hard. We have to undo the damage done by these campaigns when we're trying to do vegan advocacy. And people say, we're all in this together. We're working towards the same goal. And I say, you, got out, you go out on the street and you do vegan advocacy and you see how much far backwards you have to go before you can even take a step forward with some people. And it drives me nuts. So I'm glad that, you're, that you said that because it's, it's true. It's just so just true. Just to get on neutral ground. <laughs> exactly. Just, yeah, we, we, I do. I have to spend time going backwards just to undo the damage that the RSPCA has has caused and and Animals Australia and PETA and uh, all those. Safe. Uh, well, I, I've never heard of Safe and I've heard you mention it. I, well, I, I, yeah, I don't hear about that group in Australia. Uh, all of those groups. I mean, they're all the same. Um, yeah. They do damage. They create myths. Basically, they're telling lies, to be quite honest. They're, they're telling lies to the public that um, if you sign this petition and this law will be changed, then animals will be treated lovingly and humanely, just like in a picturesque old mcdonald's farm you know it's 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 nothing could be further from the truth exactly and then the thing that makes me so sad and why i'm trying to get so many other individuals out there doing abolitionist vegan advocacy and i don't mean like coming and doing it with me i mean do it in your town on a different day do it as as many if, if i'm doing it on you know saturday you do it on sunday every day and if and if members of the public nine times or 99 out of 100 advocates they meet are telling them to sign this petition you're doing a good thing give us money and yes there's such a thing as happy meat and go by cage free and then the one advocate is like none of that's true well what are they you know we're sort of being drowned out and it makes me it makes me mad and um i don't i still think our voice is strong i still think that our message is under equivocal and I still think our message is more effective you know we're doing more with less people to, to further the cause of animal rights I mean with with 10 times less people 100 times less people I think we're doing more to for, further animal rights but imagine if instead of that imagine if every time a member of the public stopped at a street store for animals they were told the truth and so that is why that is why I, I want people to hear how easy it is you don't need those groups you can just do it yeah it's so simple I mean I I I went for the, the big tent and the big posters and I also got an, a trestle table. It's quite long. It's um, about two and a half metres across and it folds. It's heavy but once you've got it set up, you've got a lovely big workspace to spread out pamphlets and cupcakes and, and all that sort of thing. But, gosh, if I didn't have that, I would just have, you know, like how you started with a, just a little carry table. I still have that. So that's, you know, <laughs> oh, you still have that. that that's uh, <laughs> a giggle yeah, that's, that's, it really is all you need. Uh, you know, most of the activism is not my tent and my posters and my pamphlets. Most of it is conversation. Yes. It, it, like the bulk of it is not everybody reads all my posters. I put them up there to get attention and maybe bring someone in or get them thinking about an issue. They might walk past and something catches their eye and they'll come in. So that's what the posters are there for. Um, by the way, I have no graphic images um, on public displays. Well, it's it's all... Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to basically, I want to be non-confrontational. So I'll have messages about non-violence, but I, I won't have um, disturbing pictures of animal abuse um, on public display. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll have posters to attract attention, but n- not everybody sees or reads the posters. People just see me. They see me. They see my smile. They might see the cupcakes first. Basically. Um, but they definitely, I have a very big, bright, colourful sign with sort of flowers on it and it says free cupcake you know um and some many people see that and i make sure i have it on uh, you know three sides i've got it at the front 
on one side, on the other side. So when they're walking um, towards my tent, they're going to get it from every angle. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, and a fourth one on the table. I have actually four. I have signs everywhere. So people come in, but it's not the posters, it's not the banners, it's not the pamphlets. The bulk of my advocacy is the conversation and that's what makes changes. And and that's another reason why I don't like protests as well and I know that there's a, a, a time and place for protests where you know in various different forms of social and environmental activism um, where that is critically important for for movements and positive change but for me I just I can't stand them as far as animals go no protests I mean I, I've seen some disturbing protests where people are holding up awful, awful, horrific images of animals or even sometimes holding dead animals in their hands. And I just, that's just the complete opposite of what I'd want because if people come up to a protest like that, they see the display and what can they do? They can watch, they can look, they can feel disturbed and then they can walk away. You can't have a conversation with someone holding uh, a, a, a frightening image of a dead animal or, you know, um, so that's just not what I want. So Instead, I just want friendliness and good food and uh, and also, I mean, it's about nonviolence, right? So I'm tapping into um, people's compassion that they already have. I mean, and when I say compassion, I mean their core value of nonviolence. And I believe that probably 99 or 98% of the human population already have uh, the value of nonviolence. They already have. Uh, it's just that their actions are not in alignment with their value. I mean, they apply the value to to most situations or some situations. They, uh, most people try not to be violent to other humans. Um, but if they're not vegan, um, it means that they're inflicting violence onto sentient beings. And so that's my job is to uncover that speciesism and that inconsistency uh, with a conversation. So I'm talking about nonviolence. So already we have something in common. So what I want to do with people who come to me is find what we have in common. And that might be talking about their pet. They might, you know, um, have a pet that they really love. Excellent. I totally and utterly agree. Um, I absolutely agree that it is about the conversation and the dialogue that you're having. And that's one of the reasons why I try, I mean, you know, I want people out there who, who who are consistent and who know the deal. Um, so I I strongly there's um, uh, there's a big sort of scoffing at, at the whole idea of you don't need to read anything, you don't need any theory, you don't need to know anything. And I'm like that is so not true. I mean you can get out there and practice and learn on the go. And like like you learned on the Earthlings Forum, um, you, when you first started out being an advocate, people will ask you a question and you don't know the answer to it. And instead of sort of giving an incorrect answer or lying to them or making something up, you go you go and you research it. When it comes to abolitionist advocacy, you need to understand what that means. And a lot yeah. of people don't. They say, I'm an abolitionist. I want the end of animal farming. But I think that we're going to get there by regulation. So I'm going to talk to people about regulation and that's an abolitionist. And it's like, no, it's not. It's making it worse because now I have to talk to that person and I have to undo all the damage that you did convincing them that there was such a thing as a happy meat before I can talk to them about abolition. So it's, I, I want, yeah. you know, I, I, I went out, I started doing my street stall whenever it was um, and I had already read a little bit and learned a little bit and I did, you know, learn on the job and, and well, whatever you call it, but I already had sort of really tried to educate myself. I learned a lot from you about no. what... I, I did. You are my my mentor, and um, oh. oh, I mean, I love you, Ren. I mean, you changed my life. Oh. I, mean, I, I mean, the thing is, is like you're always for me. You're just a very special person because I, when I went, when I saw Earthlings, when I was on that forum, I was I was in the, one of the darkest places I've ever been in my life. Oh my gosh! And you were such a bright, positive, and you know, sometimes I used to get sort of frustrated because I was like she's you know she's um like I would want to just moan and wallow in misery and you wouldn't let me 
<laughs> you were just like, no, 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 none of that. You know, snap out of it. We got to think about that non-humans. And I was like, she's right. And you know, thanks to you, I learned about Gary Francis, and I learned about the theory. So no, you did it. I mean, I think that the work that you've done on, on the, even just on the Earthlings Forum, uh, is is immeasurable. Which is why I never discount any kind of advocacy as long as it is the right words and the right message. I don't care if you're doing it in the street or if you're doing it online or if you're, you know. Yeah. So. It's just as important. Although maybe here we can talk about the difference between online activism and street activism. First of all, they're both just as valuable and they um, both, you know, make new vegans, basically. Yeah. So you can get results. However, I would love to talk about the delightful results of street activism versus online activism. It's friendly. When you're on the street, people are nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a change. <laughs> When you're, people think that, see, that's why I was so scared to do the first one because I had hours, not just hours, days and days of my, you know, if you, if you compacted all the time I spent on Earthlings Forum uh, and then, you know, the Earthlings Forum closed down and then it was just Facebook after that. Um, I was a bit scared. I was like, oh, you know, is someone going to punch me? (laughs) (laughs) Because I had been really sort of beaten up a few times on the internet by, uh, you know, vegan haters or, um, or even welfarists. Oh my gosh. Like I've, I've, I've really copped it. Um, you know, verbal abuse on, on the internet. I tried very hard to manage that. Um, you know, cause you've got to protect yourself and, and be a good advocate, be positive. Don't let people beat you down. Um, and be a good debater. You want to um, get the facts across without taking it personally or getting in an, into an emotional battle. So yeah, there's this wonderful thing called the, the ban button. And uh, you and I have had this discussion before, uh, you know, moving right along. So, yeah, I I just don't engage with it. I mean, that online activism, that is my pre-requirement. You must engage in civil discourse. If if somebody's going to get nasty, I mean, you're not going to convince them of anything anyway. So goodbye. They can go and, you know, pick a fight with somebody else. <laughs> um, so only friendly discussion. You know, we can argue about ideas, but you can't use personal attacks on somebody. That's just not fair. That's fighting dirty. So, um, but yeah, um, online activism, I try my very best to have those friendly conversations, but you know, there's this thing of anonymity. People feel like they're wearing Zorro's mask or something like that. And they can just punch him in the face and run away and go, ha ha ha. And, uh, and they'll, <laughs> they don't get hurt. It's a little bit like road rage. You know, people feel anonymous in their cars and they can, abuse people from their cars and that's the same on the internet uh, and happens a whole lot more often and they, you know I'm guessing those people that that troll or um say nasty things I bet they're probably quite nice people in real life I'm guessing I don't know maybe that maybe they're complete assholes um in real life as well but um uh, I'm not sure <laughs> uh, but anyway my point is when you're doing uh, face-to-face activism um it, people are friendly uh, and also, I mean, it might be that online people can't see that you have a smile on your face. People can't hear your tone of voice. They can't hear that you're, you're not being threatening um, and so they can't take things personally when you're having a discussion face-to-face and they can see that you're not accusing the other person. I mean, that's the next important thing. So when you're doing activism, uh, that's really important never to accuse the other person of of doing the wrong thing or or being a bad person. Again, it's not about focusing on the person, that person. It's about focusing on actions and values, beliefs, actions, facts, not personal, you know. Um, That's really important. And uh, saying... Things like we instead of you, that's really important. I'll, I'll never start a conversation and saying you do this and you do that. <laughs> it's always we. Um, even though I don't personally consume animal products, I'll, I'll still say we and include myself as a collective humanity. Um, so it's really important that people don't feel like you're accusing them of, of anything. Or, you know, we don't want to demonize people. We just want to talk about the facts, the issues, and... Focus on the non-human animals. It's not about us. It's about the animals. 
Exactly. And I think that's a really good point about how it's such a pleasant break from online advocacy to go out and share some laughs. People laugh. There's laughter. I mean, the only way you can get laughter online is LOL. You know, I mean, in real life, you, you hear the smiles and uh, I'm sorry, you hear the laughter, you see the smiles. And it is it is a wonderful, wonderfully rewarding thing to do. And the thing that I'm really wanting and you're helping so much to debunk is this myth that, you know, you can't go out there and and speak these truths and these facts about what people are doing. Make you know lay the, lay the truth bare that it's not the farmer you know who's I mean he's just as responsible as you. You're equally you mean both of you consume animal products as well. I remind people that like you know what do they think the farmers are up there feeding us all this milk, but they're not feeding their own children. They're not drinking the milk. They they're just as duped as we as we are. They're drinking the milk thinking it's giving them calcium, and they're feeding the milk to their children thinking that's how they're. So you know when you get when you get out there and and you you can say these things to people. You can say to people, you know, there's no difference between the dog that you love and the pigs that you eat. And and they and they um it's it makes for a wonderful, wonderful interaction. Quite the opposite from the myth that it's gonna turn people away and people are gonna run away. Oh no no don't don't let anybody ever tell you that um, pe- people are open to this they are in, they are you know you can see the light bulbs going off you can, <laughs> that's you, true you really can yeah <laughs> it's, it's very rewarding and it, and it's, and it is it's, it it's is, nice it is hugely rewarding I mean it's good to talk about the emotional input that we do this okay so on a practical matter I, I probably spend about two days full-time work doing one street stall so on a on a Saturday I'll be making cakes I've also got to find babysitters, um, uh, cancel my fitness class. I'm a fitness instructor, so I might have to cancel classes. Um, you know, I have to organize these things to make myself available. I make cupcakes. I, I fold the abolitionist approach, um, uh, pamphlet. I use that one. I use the Boston vegan association pamphlet that they send to me free. That's just, you know, amazing and wonderful. I'm just ever so grateful. And then I stamp my information contact details on the back of the BVA pamphlet, and then I stuff other pamphlets. So I use the BVA nutrition guide and um, the Gary Francione abolitionist pamphlet, and also just a one sheet print off of some recipes to get started. It's so funny. Like, I don't really care very much about recipes. It's terrible. I know. I really should love food and be really enthusiastic about food, but I don't care about that. I care about advocacy and the animals. But everybody. So many people are just really into food and fascinated by recipes. Even people who don't want to be vegan, they want vegan recipes. It's hilarious. I remember being just baffled by that. Like, really? You want vegan recipes? Yeah. So there we go. So I shovel those things um, into the BVA pamphlet. They all get stuffed in there. Um, It takes me probably about an hour to do, I don't know, like 120 pamphlets. I always want to make sure I've got too much because, gosh, it's awful running out of either pamphlets or cupcakes. I don't like running out, so I always make too much. And so I'm totally ready and prepared. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a day of preparation on Saturday and then getting up super early in the morning to, you know, pack the car and drive off to the markets and unload your car, set up the tent. And then it takes me a good hour to put up posters with sticky tape and one day I'll get past this sticky tape thing. But, <laughs> you know, to set things up uh, with blue tape and sticky tape and, and, and I hang up my posters with string and... Uh, that takes about an hour um and then I get started and um got cupcakes on display and yeah so it it takes a good couple of days really and um but oh my gosh it's so worth it so sometimes just say I've I've had a super busy week and my house needs attention and my children could really do with a bit more attention as well and uh, I'm not having much of a social life because I'm spending all this time getting ready for the Sunday markets. You know, you put things off, you delay things. Of course, it's a sacrifice to do this. You're, You're putting off other things in order to do this. And sometimes I might have days where I'm tired and here I am icing cupcakes, it's getting late at night and all, thinking, oh, I'm not going to have much sleep tonight. But even on nights where I haven't had much sleep, and I'm, I'm icing cupcakes in the night and I'm stuffing pamphlets going, oh, God, I, you know, I don't feel like doing this. I don't want to do this. But, uh, you know, I've had so much success doing the market store that um, that's what keeps me going. I think I know, I can anticipate, I know that the next day is going to be a great day. Tomorrow I'm going to meet someone who's going to become a vegan. And if I don't go there, if I don't be there, that person is going to walk down that street and never meet me. 
they need, and I have to be there because when they meet me, they're going to meet their destiny. And when that one person goes vegan because they've come to me and had a conversation and they've decided to go vegan, that's 125 animals who won't die in the next year. Yeah, and I, I know that you actually get a lot of feedback from people who've written to you or who tell you days later that they've gone vegan. And so that must be just amazing. It is, it is amazing. And, and imagine the people who don't get back to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a few ways that I hear back from them. One is um, if they're a local person, they'll come back to the street stall in the next fortnight and then they'll tell me, you know, I went vegan or I'm in transition to going vegan or it really got me thinking and I think I'm going to start cutting back on this or that and but eventually I want to get to vegan. Um, you hear this or you hear the secondhand information like, oh, um, my friend went vegan because this stall, so I thought I'd come and check you out. <laughs> and, you, you know, you, hadn't, you wouldn't have heard about that person if you hadn't have met their friend. So you hear um, information by them returning to your stall. So that's one way. Another way is my Facebook page. I have the Alice Springs Vegan Society Facebook page. Sometimes people will send me a private message or leave a comment on my page saying, hi, I just wanted to, to let you know that, that I went vegan and I've moved to Adelaide now, but um, yeah, I just wanted to tell you that me and my boyfriend are vegan now, and thanks so much. <laughs> and I mean, you know, that's they're, they're the little, the little buzzes that you feel that you go, "Yep, this is why I'm doing it." And you know, you get those little hits um, that make you feel great inside. And um, I give those people full credit for going vegan. The only thing I give myself credit for is turning up. It's just me, my information, my yummy food. I have to make sure I make damn good cakes. That's my responsibility. I cannot make you know, mediocre. Average, it has to be like out of this world, sensational cupcakes. <laughs> I agree. That's, and I, I will take full credit for that market store, for turning up, for the consistency, for going no matter how I feel and, and being there, being there for the animals because it's all about the animals. You know, it's not about me. If I'm, you know, making, um, cupcakes and pamphlets the night before and having a sulk because I'm like, oh, I, I just want to clean my house and I just want to see a friend and I just want to go to bed early and having a sook. It doesn't last long, by the way. You know, I, I'll get over myself very quickly because I think, now, what are you doing this for? Who are you doing this for? You're doing this for those miserable animals stuck in those tiny cages and they have no voice. They can't speak. And I can speak. I have a, a voice. I have a big, loud voice, actually. <laughs> I have a motor mouth, and I'm going to really employ that at, at the street stall tomorrow. So that's what I, I, you know, I give myself a bit of self-talk. And even if I have had a, a, a night where I haven't been feeling very good because I don't feel like doing it, which isn't all the time, but sometimes it's like if I've had a really busy week, it sort of gets on top of me. doesn't matter how much sleep I've had or how grumpy I was the day before once I'm at that market stall and things have gotten started you know a couple of hours into it I'll warm up a bit and because in early in the morning there's not many people and then the numbers start to pick up once I'm in the, the flow wow like there's no better place I'd rather be there's nothing else I'd rather do than speak to people about veganism and I mean another great thing people come to me I don't go chasing anybody um if somebody wants to know about veganism, they come to the stall. They can see. It's very clear. There's posters everywhere. It's all about being vegan. If they don't want to know, then they just walk on and someone else will come to me and talk to me. And, um, you know, I, there you go. <laughs> it's a wonderful opportunity. No, absolutely. I think it's 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 so inspiring. I, I get a lot of – because, I mean, just um, – we are we all have busy lives and, and things like that and um, – um, and the, the, the thing is, is that the more people who do it, then it won't just be, um, sort of falling on us. It's, it's sad that if we don't turn up, n nobody turns up. Um, but that's, yeah. that's the way it is at the moment. And like you say, once you get there and you just wouldn't want, you just don't want to be anywhere else. And I'd also like to say that, that, you know, we, sometimes you can spend hours and hours on the internet. So people spend hours and hours and hours on the internet. So you, if you, if you want the time, you can take the time that you do that. Now, a lot of that's at nighttime though. So obviously you can't go out and stand in the, in the dark, but you know, we can. Well, actually you can, um, uh, like to, to make your life easier doing a street stall, you can do some preparation in advance. So you're not rushing everything the day before, like I usually do. Um, <laughs> 
um, uh, for instance, I discovered that you can freeze cupcakes. They freeze very well. If you have enough space, you know, if you have a big enough freezer, um, you pop them into containers and just stack them, you know. So I, I can do cupcakes in advance and they're ready to go. So that's less work for me um, the day before. But, you know, human nature, we always do everything at the last minute. <laughs> But that's something you can do. I mean, you can get pamphlets ready in advance. And, and um, so, yes, you can do things. Instead of surfing the internet and chit-chatting to people on Facebook, you can be getting your street stall ready at night time. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, another, that's another, good, another good point. But, I mean, um, just the just, – just, I, I haven't been doing my stall because um, so, I just wanted to let you know, Ren, and maybe you can give me some pointers. I'm doing my first market um, because we've, we're not going to be at our – yeah, I'm so excited. We're not going to be outside Altair Square anymore. We're going to start doing market stalls and our craft market. And we're very excited because um, there'll be um, a shelter perhaps provided. Um, some of them are inside, some are outside. And, um, Wonderful. So, and I'm, this one that's coming up is the Davenport Market, and it's on a Sunday. So, I'm have, so I'll have all day Saturday to do the preparation. So I like the Sunday stall. Some of the, some of the stalls are going to be Saturdays, and then it will be. Um, but like you say, you can do it in advance. You can freeze in advance and all my pamphlets and everything are already pre-folded in this in this although although i'm notorious if anybody asks Wudemu, i hope that he doesn't <laughs> tell them the truth because i'm notorious for sending him down to get some printed on the day can you please go and get some printed right now and then we're sitting there folding them while people are coming <laughs> i i really don't like doing that i mean i think i've only ever done that once um and i was not happy <laughs> because really like you've got to be present like i mean that's another thing so um, you're at your street stall and you don't want to be sitting down with your head down and, and uh, you know, you've got to have an open face like an open book and, and you know, I'm available. Um, so sometimes I sit, um, but I'm mostly always, st- I can't help myself. Like I've got too much energy. I have to stand. Like even when I'm not talking to it, you know, there's, there's gaps in between talking pe- to people where you're free and you're not talking to anyone. And that's at the point where I, I sing out and, uh, not all the time, but, um, I'll just wait for clusters of people to approach and I'll just say free cupcake and, um, you know, hopefully allure somebody in. Um, but yeah, I don't want to have my head down folding pamphlets. And, and, uh, yeah, I've done that once and I don't want to do that again. Right. Oh gosh, you're really inspiring me because, you know, we, I've, um, I got to say like when I first decided to do this, I found it, um, I found it a little bit intimidating and, uh, you know, once you, but once I realized, and also like yourself, I hadn't had as much experience as you online, but I'd definitely been through the nines. Um, you know, I was I was nervous about meeting some of the welfare advocates that I'd had run-ins online with, and meeting them in person because things got so unpleasant, and and it was so distressing and so um, unpleasant is the only word I can think of. And um, yeah. I only came across meeting a welfarist once and um, most of the time I'm talking to the general public, my favourite thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and in my little town there is no other animal activism. There are no other tables or groups um, doing activism or raising awareness about even single-issue campaigns or, or welfare campaigns. Um, there's nobody here. Um, it's so, it's just me. <laughs> but that's amazing. That's so wonderful. I, I'm so glad you said that because there are other people who that's the reason why they're not doing it. They're like, well, there's nobody in my town. I have no support. And it's, you know, I have, there's nobody else doing it. I'll get mobbed. I'll get lynched. I'll get, you know, and you know, you can say to them, I live in a very small farming community out in the outback in the desert, you know, that's right. Yeah. And I'm doing I live, it. I live in the heart of cattle country. Uh, the the nearest city to me is two days driving in any direction, <laughs> oh my God. and I have a population of twenty eight thousand people, and I'm in the outback. I'm in the freaking desert, <laughs> <laughs> and I can do vegan advocacy, yeah. and I get an average of two people every market stall who say they want to go vegan. Wow, that's, that's so. If I can do it in the outback, I think. Someone else anywhere can do it in the city, wherever you are. It doesn't matter. I would still do it if I lived in a town of 300 people. I'd be there every day and they're like, oh, there she is. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, and I'll be doing this. uh, I'll, I'll be 85 and I'll still be doing this. 
I'll have to mention that, I mean, I have a small population, but it's a tourist town, so we have lots of visitors. Um, so, I mean, at least half or more, I'd say more, the bulk of the people I talk to are not from my town. Um, they're from interstate, so they're, tra you know, Australians travelling within Australia, and many backpackers. There's or sometimes people who are here uh, for work and they're staying temporarily. So I get a lot of uh, foreigners and interstate visitors. Um, and they, yeah, they go back to their town with a souvenir. They've gone vegan. <laughs> right. And they've had the best cupcake. Um, you know, I, I, I can't tell exactly how many people I've talked to in a day, but judging by how many pamphlets leave my little stack, I'm guessing it might be between 60 and sometimes up to 100, but that's usually with two people. Um, at the moment, I'm doing the street tour by myself, and um, soon I'll have a second person to do it as well. Um, and it's way better with two because you, you actually miss people. Like people come, you get talking, a new person comes along, you have to analyse that conversation. Is this conversation going to probably lead to veganism? If it's a really engaging conversation, I am not going to let this person go. It's like, no, I have this person, person fully engaged. Um, there's a really good chance here. Or they're really learning something here, we're having a good discussion. I'm very reluctant to take on the, the second person who's come up, but I'll, I will give them eye contact and quickly ju jump to them in the middle of the conversation and say, hi, free cupcake with the conversation, and then I'll go back to the person I'm talking to. And sometimes I'll do it, like I'll actually wave my hands for them to come forward. It's like, join in, join in. It's, you know, just come in and listen in and join in the conversation. You can have a cupcake. And then I'll get back to that conversation. And it's really hard. Like when you have a second person, no problem. They just take on the next people. Um, but sometimes I will get clusters of people, you know, um, one person, then a second person, and then suddenly I have five people all around my table listening into the same conversation. But then some people feel like that they're in interrupting and then they'll go, oh, and then they'll leave. So you will do lose a lot when it's just one person. But, I mean, who cares? <laughs> you just do what you can do. So out of those, I don't know, say 60 to 70 people I've talked to, and many of those are obviously short conversations with a couple of long conversations, um, yeah, I'll get an average of two people out of that who'll go vegan, which is amazing, Elizabeth, because when I was quite terrified of doing my first street store, I had some figures in my mind of I'm thinking, how many people do I have to talk to before I find one person who'll go vegan? And I knew it was a game of numbers. I knew that I just had to put my head down, tail up and work. And I knew that I had to have a lot of conversations and I knew that someone would listen to this message and someone would go vegan. Um, but I thought, you know, I thought it might even be up to a thousand. I was thinking that, that's how many, you know, if I talk to 60 to 70 people, every market stall, um, once a fortnight for how long a period of time, and then I'll get one vegan. It's not like that. It, the numbers are way better. <laughs> I mean, even the very first street stall, I would not have known that a number of people went vegan from the very first one that I did um, with my colleague Jeff um, if I hadn't have caught, uh, done follow-up calls. So I had this, I have this contact list and if I notice that someone is probably local, um, I'll ask them, would you like to join our contact list? Um, I, I can email and text you a message when we have our next social picnic gathering and then you can see what vegans eat and it's social and you know you can come along and and uh, try vegan food and you you make you know you have an opportunity to try making a vegan meal yourself and and uh and come along so uh people if they are interested um uh, then they'll they'll just give me their name and number and email um or people who aren't local but they want information that's oh i'd really like that um, chocolate cupcake recipe, or I really want some more facts about, you know, water use and livestock production. Can you email me that document or something? So that's what the contact list is for. So a month after that first eco fair market table I did, I call up heaps of people. Um, but guess what? It's another opportunity for conversations, but this time on the phone. So I call up this, this one lady, but I don't realize she's left town. And she she t tells me her story. She was on holiday in Alice Springs with a good friend of hers. They have um, children who've grown up and left home. Um, they're from Sydney. And they came to Alice Springs to do the touristy thing, and they actually went to a restaurant called the Red Ochre Grill, um, and they tried eating wallaby and kangaroo and crocodile, and uh, they have just these animals on their menu that you can try. And, oh, and they call it native foods. Um, and then they also have native um, herbs and spices and, and a few vegetables. Um, so they went to this place because they wanted to try Australian food. 
and um, eating these poor, you know, little animals. Anyway, um, they were wondering what's on in Alice Springs and they noticed that, oh, there's this um, eco-fair and, oh, look, you can get a camel burger. So the, the eco-fair organisers um, have a fundraising um, barbecue and they barbecue camel burgers to raise money for their environment group. And so the, the point of the camel burgers is their message is camels are a pest in Australia. We need to eradicate the pest. A great way to do that is to eat them. Um, but oh, I'll just quick, you know, I'm, I'm on a tangent here, so <laughs> I'm just going to diverge from my story just to quickly address the camel problem. Um, the, in Australia, camels take very well to Australia. They don't belong here. They were introduced and used for transport. Now we've got about half a million camels um, roaming free and wild in Australia. And I hear that um, Australia is the only location on earth that actually has free camels. Um, in all other countries, they are owned and domesticated by humans. So we have about half a million, possibly up to a million wild camels in Australia. I agree with the environmentalists that they don't belong here. And yes, they're causing damage. So that's what we agree with. Um, the solution from an uh, from a, an animal rights perspective is not to kill them because we've got this current model of cull repopulate, cull repopulate, and that just doesn't work. You know, there's this endless killing and repopulating, so that doesn't work. What does work is um, uh, sterilisation. So you sterilise um, a clan of camels. They live out the rest of their natural life. They don't reproduce, but also because they're territorial, they keep out any new camels from moving into that area and repopulating. So sterilising animals is, in the long term, far more effective than just killing them. Um, so anyway, the environmentalists probably wouldn't agree with, with that. Um, but here's the thing. Focusing on camels um, is really silly because... So we've got half a million camels and we've got 127 million cows and sheep Thank in you. Australia. And nobody's talking about them. Nobody's saying, oh, I mean, some environmentalists say, oh, just cut back. Um, but they're not even saying that. They're not, they're not saying um, cattle and sheep production is devastating to the environment. In Australia, we have the world's worst record for extinction of mammals, all on cattle grazing land. And cattle and sheep are the number one consumer of water, even more than mining and domestic water use. Um, it, it, absolute environmental disaster. They're the number one cause of soil erosion. We have this fragile topsoil in this arid land um, so, and they've got heavy hoofs and they're just, you know, they're running across the country just causing outrageous damage to our, our beautiful earth. And, and then the environmentalists are getting all upset about camels. Um, and just, you know, half a million with, and they've got soft feet as well. Like, they, you know, they're less damaging than the, the cows and sheep. Um, and so, you know, don't even begin to have a conversation about camels unless you're going to have a serious conversation about cows and uh, sheep. It's just ridiculous. So anyway, that's, that's their thing. The environmentalists have got this camel burger stand um, and it's, it's quite popular. And that's the other thing I don't understand. Rather than having an environment um, stand where they offer education and try and um, reach out to the hearts and minds of the public, because, I mean, we've got to change behaviour. Even from an environmental perspective, they could be having an education stand, but instead they've got this fundraising stand. And I was like, well, what are you raising money for? <laughs> I, I, they do have great campaigns. I mean, they do, um, you know, the, the, they've got anti-nuclear campaigns and, and, um, some, and they do have sustainable living in the desert with water-saving tips and all that sort of thing. So, yes, they do. They do that sort of stuff. But um, I'm just really not keen on fundraising. I'm just, in fact, I'm quite against it, especially for vegan advocacy. Like when people want to offer me donations, I refuse. I say, uh, oh, thank you so much for wanting to give me some money, but what I'd really love you to do is to consider going vegan. Here, have a free cupcake. <laughs> I don't want money. I Honestly, I just don't want money. Um, uh, so getting back to the story about uh, this lovely woman from Sydney. Um, so she tells me that she saw this ad for Camel Burgers at the Eco Fair and her and her friend said, oh, cool, let's go and try camel burger. I mean, we'll never get to do that. Let's, you know, it's the outback experience. Let's go so that you go there and eat a camel burger. So they had this, oh, it's all outside. It's in natural botanical gardens with, with desert plants and trees. And there's this little um, arch of street stalls um, with food. And um, I made sure I was, you know, well away from the camel burger stand. Um, and I was right at the front, right on the corner. So we had a lot of foot traffic. And um, uh, this lady came along um, to go, you know, on the way to the camel burger stand and came across um, our table. And 
she stopped and had a cupcake and absorbed all the information and had a conversation. And her and her friend, from that moment onwards, they went vegan. And they never went to the camel burger stand. That's a wonderful story. You see? <laughs> and it was a conversation. You didn't, you didn't have to shock them. You didn't have to take them to a slaughterhouse. <sighs> and she said the most profound thing to me. She said, it was, she said, Renata, it was a combination of your non-confronting approach and your, your calm mannerism, compelling information isn't that great? And you know, it's so funny. We get told that we're so confrontational. You've just busted another myth because a lot of people think that abolitionist advocacy, whether it's online or in person, is being really confronting and laying down the law and, and being well, all so or shocking. nothing. Yeah. Like, like what a radical concept that non-human animals are equals. <laughs> and the language that you use is important. And you do learn. And, and I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've, we've had some some tense like you say tense moments in person because it is it is very upsetting you know and I remember myself and I you know I have I do a I do my stall with Wurimu and I did my stall with Emmy James as well and they were 15 and 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 I can't remember how old Emmy was I think she might have been 13 or 12 or something when they went vegan so you know they're these young people and they they're basically they're kind of their whole life they're going to be vegan like their their first 10 years of their lives or whatever it doesn't but me I didn't go vegan until I was 34 and I used that you know, I tell people, hey, I didn't go vegan until I was 34 years old. You know, I'm not someone who was born and raised. This was a, just as much of a revelation and a shock to me. I, I, I had to change my behavior just as much as I'm asking you to change yours. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. Well, same with the, the, that lovely lady from Sydney. They were like in their 50s. And to them, it was just as important. Like, but, but, you know, their whole lives changed. And she said, thank you for changing my life. You mm -hmm. know? And, and um, she said that just, I mean, it was wonderful feedback because this was my very first experience of creating a market stall. I, I didn't know if I got it right. And, and when she said it was a combination of compelling facts and information and uh, um, calm nature and non-confronting approach, um, friendliness and, and delicious food, that she said it, it created uh, the right atmosphere for her to come to that decision all on her own. Fantastic. So there you go, everybody. 